Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, uh, the Star Trek podcast that views the Star Trek franchise through the eyes of a bunch of non-Trackies. Okay, I'm here with my usual co-hosts Paul and Matt. Uh, we're going to be discussing Star Trek Nemesis today. The, the last... end of Phase 2. Yeah, yeah, Phase 2, the last of the Star Trek Next Generation films. For all the newbies out there, this is the plot rundown for Star Trek Nemesis. The Enterprise is diverted to the Romulan homeworld Romulus, supposedly because they want to negotiate a peace treaty. That is all that it says. Is there a slightly more in-depth? Plot description for available well, on IMDb. The, uh, without going into everything, yeah. No mention tricky. of uh, Picard clones. It's a, it's a no mention. Yes. Of, I uh, think yeah. basically the big like thing, the thing of this film uh, is that uh, when the Enterprise arrives at Romulus, he is confronted with a clone of his younger self that the Romulus had been intending to use as a um, a plan to replace him with a kind of you know, sleeper agent. Sleeper agent uh, in in the, you know to gather information that kind of thing. But yeah, that plan went by the wayside, and this um, nemesis of his <laughs> is uh, very much connected to him. I see what they did there. That's very good. But we're also joined by a special guest today, a returning guest, Greg Locke. Hello there. Uh, Greg, as you'll know for anyone who listened to our Final Frontier episode, uh, is the director of Star Trek fan film Ambush, coming out later this year. Uh, I've here that is actually definitely coming out this year now, Greg. Fingers crossed. Uh, okay. <laughs> Give us a date. Confirm. Can't commit to a date yet, but Yeah, so today we're going to be discussing Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, now, as I was saying before, a bit of an end of an era. Uh, this one, we've done all the original series films and now all the TNG films. Uh, we'll be Where moving. has the time gone? Exactly. Yeah. It does seem to have flown by. I can't believe we're here already. I'm kind of feeling almost a, a bit of sadness uh, over it to say goodbye to this world and then kind of be moving on or almost moving back in time with the uh, beginning of the JJ films next month. So until then, um, usually what we usually do is pass straight over to Matt who... Oh, we do a, we do the uh, Star Trek Nemesis, but since we've already done them, see yeah. also Star Trek 5 Final Frontier episode for basically <laughs> Greg confirming he has seen all of Star Trek. <laughs> he is a more qualified to talk about this than anybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to reiterate, I think you must be the most uh, obsessive Star Trek fan we've had on the show. Yeah, um, I, I guess so. Uh, I mean, yeah. funny <laughs> Take enough... Take the prize. More, yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, funny enough, it usually <laughs> so happens that people we have on the show know far more about Star Trek than we do. Uh, as, you know, but that's the whole idea of the show. Um, you know, this is viewing the Star Trek franchise through the eyes of non-Trekkies. Uh, Matt... Paul and myself uh, all have varying degrees of knowledge uh, when it comes to Trek, but Matt is the biggest novice of all of us. Before we started this podcast, he had not seen a single shred of Star Trek apart from the three new J.J. Uh, Kelvin universe mm, yeah, uh, films. And Rathacon, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's true. When we, when we started it, actually, uh, when we started recording, uh, Beyond hadn't come out uh, as of yet, um, but now, obviously, he's seen all three of those. But we'll be discussing those beginning next month. Until then, we're here to discuss Star Trek Nemesis. A generation's final journey begins. Matt, what did you think? So this is 
a monumental episode for me, really, because this is the last Star Trek film I have yet to see. So it's really sad for me coming in, not just this being the end of this era of films and this series of adventures of this crew, but it's the last time I get to watch a Star Trek film that I had not seen before. So that's quite sad. Um, luckily, I saw it this morning, thanks to a Netflix snafu, where I believed it was on there and it was not. So I had to watch it here at Paul's house uh, before we recorded. So it should on be nice and fresh. On beautiful Blu-ray. On beautiful Blu-ray, which is lovely. Um, yeah, so this, I think, writes a lot of the tonal imbalances that Insurrection suffered from, where there was lots in that that we liked and we kind of felt were a bit too hokey. This one kind of straightens the ship for the most part, but I don't quite know whether it makes up for that in terms of just a general overall story worth having. Um, there's a lot of interesting elements, but it does feel like a few ideas stretched out. Like I felt, I felt like the last, like the second half of the film was one extended sort of space battle scene. Um, so kind of pacing issues abound, but I felt like, you know, maybe up until now, we finally got on with this crew, I, I found. Um, so the sacrifices involved kind of really landed. Um, and yeah, it's sad to say goodbye to Picard and that, even though even if a lot of the other crew were maybe the least serviced out of these films, namely Worf and Troy and a few other people. And, uh, and, <laughs> and George, yes, a lot of people. Yeah. But, um, and anyone who isn't Data or Picard. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, enjoy them parts, but I'm sure we'll get into it. It's its many flaws. Well, before we move on to the thoughts of Paul and I, I wanted to turn to our special guest, Greg Locke, um, because the last time we had you on, Greg, it was discussed The Final Frontier, yep. which I believe is actually your oh, favourite yeah. Star Trek film. Um, and, you know, you valiantly defended uh, Final Frontier, and Matt and I actually mm. ended up agreeing with you. Yeah. Um, it was only Paul that was the big stick in the mud, of course, <laughs> not, not like it. Um, but Nemesis, it, that that's presumably your second favourite. Oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, where do I begin? Um, I've got... Six pages of notes on how rubbish uh, this film is. Okay, interesting. So, do you want to start with what you like about it? <laughs> you didn't bring that up. I was about to say it has Star Trek in the title, but it does yeah, yeah, it has it Star does, Trek in the yeah. title. But it's spelled with letters back to front. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it's cool. Um, uh, um, the um, idea behind that was it's going to be foreboding yeah. the mirror image of Picard and his Wait, is that a thing? Is the yeah, title this? Oh, yeah, 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 it's yeah, at the beginning or on the, on the, the yeah, title. Right, I okay. Oh, it yeah. appeals to the kids. Star Trek. Okay, I mean, in terms of, I don't know, things I like, it's got Tom Hardy in it. Yeah, that's that's always a good thing, although... One thing I actually discussed with Paul the other day is this is Tom Hardy before he was Tom Hardy. And what I find is quite interesting, I read um, somewhere, but um, Tom Hardy, um, he because this is like one of his, this is his first big break, yeah, and he really considered it an honour and put it everything meant to be, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he put everything into it, and of course when it turned out into mm. the biggest flop ever. Mm. I think he actually drove him to drink. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't feel he had redeemed himself until he did Bronson. Yes. Like yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's six years that, in the yeah. wilderness, <laughs> like just years. flogging himself because of Nemesis. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, it's a shame because one of my, my big, and I'll get onto this later, one of my biggest problems with Nemesis is no one involved in that film gave a shit. 
mm. in my opinion. Especially the director. Yeah. Especially the director and pretty much all the actors. And I feel that Tom Hardy, bless him, was oh, and maybe Ron Perlman. They're like the only Yeah, he's two. trying, isn't he? But they're the only people who are actually trying to Yeah. Mm. I mean yeah. he like I say it's Tom Hardy before he was Tom Hardy in the sense of it's odd seeing Hardy at this point. Kind of before he established himself with Bronson as that kind of you know, I mean he's Undoubtedly, one of the most loved actors. He's become, out there. yeah, he's massive, now. and um, it's not a case of just seeing a now famous guy in an early role no. in like a tiny thing. He is the villain. He's yeah, the main he's part. a big role, and it should have been his big break, and obviously it wasn't. And he is giving a good performance, I think, but it's not a, a Tom Hardy performance. And says, don't get me wrong, Tom well, he Hardy hasn't, he hasn't sort of found his style. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a very comedianic actor. But at the same time, there is a certain presence that Hardy brings to a film now that isn't quite there. Well, I think nowadays Tom Hardy could do a pretty good Patrick Stewart. Yeah. But at this, he's doing not even a Tom Hardy yet. Yes. So it looks weird. At times, it looks like Tom Hardy's face green screen onto another body because it's so thin and spindly. And you're so used to seeing <laughs> yeah. Hardy as this I, massive I, I, guy. I don't feel like there's enough done to try and like make him feel like he's got any of the mannerisms of Stuart. Like, no. Apart from no. him ordering tea, and even then he doesn't order Old Grey. It's yeah. such a throwaway... Mm. It like, is the it's most kind of ridiculous like, oh, wait a minute, shit, we're near the, uh, the end of this film and he hasn't actually done any Picardisms. Um, no, no. He have tea. Well, I think there's a the thing, he could've, there could have been a lot more if he, if he wasn't wearing that ridiculous outfit. <laughs> oh yeah, it looks so stupid. It's like Doctor Evil shoulder padding <laughs> yeah. kind of. Yeah, but he could have pulled down something if he just did a Picard maneuver, like you know, pulling down a jumpsuit or something like that. It would have been something at least. Yeah, like I just... didn't guess that he was the clone. Like you think that'd be an obvious thing because, like, oh, another bold guy. But I never for once thought, oh yeah, that's a young. Yeah, because you know, because got... when there's that bit where Picard gets that old photo of himself out for oh, a minute there, and it's Hardy. For a minute there, I thought, yeah. That. For a minute, I thought, oh, he somehow got a photo of. Tom Hardy, oh wait, no, that is just him. But well, this is the thing that doesn't make any sense, is the fact that it all works against itself, because the filmmakers clearly know that Tom Hardy looks nothing like Patrick Stewart whatsoever. So they actually have that conversation where he says, oh, my face looks different, but they broke my nose and they mm-hmm. broke my jaw, to try and go like, oh, that's why I don't look anything like you, Picard, despite being a clone. But then, when he pulls out the photo of his younger self, that is played by Tom Hardy. So I'm just like, but wait a minute, he does just look like Tom Hardy. So you are trying to say that's it. This doesn't make it's, any sense. And that photo as well, I mean, I know this is all looking at it from a non trophy point of view, but in Next Gen, we've seen Picard as a cadet. With hair. With, yeah, with hair. Even right. in the Next Generation, yeah. we've seen Patrick Stewart wearing a crown that uniform line. as well. Was yeah. it in that episode? Was it called Tapestry? I think one. Yeah, that's true. Next but Generation, he has still got we, a bit of hair, hasn't yeah. he? You know, he has. They've just got this. You know, and basically, it's you know because they think the audience is stupid. And, you know, even though <laughs> yeah. Doctor Crusher and um, Picard are actually discussing the photo and saying, "This is younger me. Look, it's you know, laying it all out." But mm. basically, because he's the bold captain, we're not going to understand that. It's basically like if they made a film about Winston Churchill and needed a five-year-old Churchill, they would have to give this five-year-old a cigar because <laughs> the audience won't know who it is. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's a very important... And, I mean, do you think this has anything to do with the fact that director Stuart Baird 
uh, famously uh, basically never watched. He was like you, bro. He never watched yeah. like any <laughs> Star Trek. What am I doing? We all found the, uh, the LaForge, the uh, Geordie LaForge comment in our research. Oh, well, no, I know I, that they've spoken very badly about well, him. Well, basically, he 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 thought Geordie was an alien. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's something he didn't he didn't know. <laughs> and uh, an yeah. insult injury. He kept on calling Lavar Burn Laverne <laughs> and Visor Man. I've heard. Like, he's exactly <laughs> like you, Matt. Like, like, so. You're a visor man, but you ain't got your visor, so are you, are you part of the crew? Like, you're like, yeah, you're an idiot. I don't recognise you. Yeah, can I read what I found on a Reddit forum, which is all about uh-huh. just Nemesis and whether it deserves a reappraisal? Cool, um, Reddit. So, I had a friend who worked at Paramount during the production of Nemesis. He knew I was a Trek fan, so he invited me to the set for a couple of days of filming. I was very impressed by how close the cast seemed, very much like a family. I was even the butt of a Jonathan Frakes joke when I was standing in the wrong place at the wrong time. But he's a very nice guy. I do remember the cast all seemed a bit ill at ease at how things were going, and I also remember Stuart Baird seeming like a full-blown arsehat, <laughs> wearing an elaborate scarf and fedora during all the filming I saw. And oh, I should show you the picture. <laughs> the actual picture of this. Oh, oh my! Uh, okay. We'll have to post this on the Instagram yeah, yeah. and social media, <laughs> yeah. but it is a photo. It looks of like a Baird. cowboy being a director. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, certainly. He, yes, he's a terrible. But it's funny talking about how Hardy is not quite Hardy yet. I did also read that he sent his audition tape. He recorded like half naked or something, which is very Hardy. Just like going like I will be just in like pants or something. What was he called on his um? All his old MySpace. Bags. Yeah, I was about to say his whitey tighty budgie. Yeah, smoking. we just said it knows him. There's a short film he is in as well. For sort of, I think it was post Bronson, but before he was big, where he's completely full frontal naked in it as well. Just like right, an excuse to like chomp about. Mm. Oh yeah, you said you watched this the other day, didn't you? Yeah, like at alone work. at home. At work. <laughs> at work. Yeah, but yeah. no, no, he, not he safe for work. It. Not safe for work. Yeah, I had to turn around and be like, oh. Um, but yeah, director Stuart Baird, uh, who was chosen to come on this film at the studio's insistence apparently well because they owed him one for as I said last time didn't he do some free edits on Tomb Raider or something that's right he saved Tomb Raider and Mission Impossible 2 well he was most famous for being an editor up until this point he did direct he's an editor now yeah he doing the new Tomb Raider like he edited yeah it's amazing yeah I mean that's the thing he before this he directed Executive Decision and U.S. Marshals, uh, which were both reasonably successful, yeah, I think. Um, well, but one of them killed Steve Seagal within thirty minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I mean, that's uh, ridiculous. The big twist. Them. Spoiler for executive decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they, they've got Kurt Russell, so makes up for it. Not and uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that is a, is, is, Suchet, is he the villain? Yes. yes. Oh, in which one? Man, it's the week Hercule of Sushi. Hercule Poirot is the, the villain of the Egyptian season. Like, uh, I recently guest starred on the Dot Who podcast that I was talking about in the last episode, Prog to Who, and the episode we were discussing uh, was the recent Knock Knock with David Suchet as the villain. Yeah. So he's everywhere right now. Um, but, but it's also, I, w- I looked up, like, the wonderful actress Irene Jacob, who was in, like, Three Colours Red and um, Double Life of Veronique. And it's like, what did she do after that? Because she's obviously very big art house thing. And she, you know, she, her career in Hollywood began and ended with U.S. Marshals. <laughs> and it's such a shame because she's like... Was U.S. Marshals a success, like, financially? I think it was okay. Was that the, like, uh, like the sequel to Fugitive? Yeah. Or, yeah. well, spin-off with Tommy Lee Jones's mm-hmm. character. I-, I haven't seen it as any... Wesley Snipes, right? right? Yeah. It's okay. So, yeah. But, yeah. Downey uh, Jr. before the smack. It's, yeah, in fact, the issue of that is it's, it's basically just a rehash of The Fugitive. 
Well, it always sounds a bit of a bus crash. It's a plane crash. Mm. And but, once again, the prisoner, the fugitive, is wrongfully accused. Because how do you make Tommy Lee Jones the protagonist of that one? Because he's mm. such an asshole in <laughs> The Fugitive. Is he just stupid in the sense of, oh, another guy who's yeah. protesting his innocence, I won't believe him? <laughs> yeah. um, or do they actually make him well, kind of well, vulnerable really, and it's, stuff? It's really far fetched because Wesley Snipes is like, you know, not paying his taxes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I haven't seen it, so that could have been the real crime. <laughs> I, don't know. I actually can't remember what the crime was. <laughs> that, that would be a very low stakes crime for them to to investigate if that was the case like uh, I'm innocent I don't care yeah. <laughs> prior to executive decisions starting out as director of course though, as you say he was most famous for being an editor something that he's retreated back into now um, he edited amongst other things don't lethal. quit your day job yeah. <laughs> well yeah exactly he, he, he edited amongst other things Lethal Weapon and now he seems he's to edit, hard. Uh, as you say great balancing act of like, so many different stories in that yeah. yeah no completely I mean he is a great editor undoubtedly because mm. as you say he's got Steph like Casino Royale yeah and Skyfall he edited as well um, I mean it's actually quite a funny crossover actually in regards to this uh, because just to give you a bit of stat track uh, up front <laughs> um, in regards to the budget of this film it was made for 60 million dollars uh, up until now the highest budget Star Trek film but if you adjust for inflation, and they had to pay those costs new salaries because they yes. were they were actually out of contract, yeah, insurrection. So yeah, I heard Patrick Stewart actually got paid uh, quite a lot for this film. Um, so maybe I think more than he made in the entire show. Like, yeah, potentially. Um, although I've heard another rumor that him and Brent Spiner actually took paid cuts. I yeah, don't so know whether... took paid cuts and it was still more than his yeah, entire Yeah, quite, quite possible. I, I know that there's always, if you watch uh, Chaos on the Bridge, the documentary about the early days of Star Trek Next Generation, the cast are always talking about how badly paid and treated they were on that show, um, which seems really unfair considering the amount of money it would have made for Paramount and such. But yeah, 60 million budget, um, which was the highest budget uh, Star Trek film up to that point but the box office return 67.3 million worldwide so I mean that is a, a mm. not enough if you consider I think mo- it puts it as the lowest gross yeah, yeah. yes it is, it's certainly domestically it's the lowest well, grossing they, they Star Trek a, film of all time they had a pretty rough time yeah. going up against Bond Potter and Lord of the Rings yeah so Harry Potter, crowd, talk about a crowded field you know Harry Potter Chamber of the Secrets mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings Two Towers. Two Towers and Die Another Day were in direct competition and I mean those whatever you think about those movies uh, in terms of so, like, yeah, big tempos. Well, you have got the the, uh, the worst Star Trek film up against the best Bond film. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I said, like, you know, Two franchise killers <laughs> at once. If I hadn't, you know, if I wasn't as stable maybe as I was at the time, I could have ended up on an island in the Irish Sea after this summer of movies. <laughs> you know, waiting uh, for something. Because yeah, Attack of the Clones, the worst yeah. Star Wars film. So oh, do you think it's the worst? Mm-hmm. Yes. Worse than Phantom Menace? Yes. Okay, interesting. Um, Die Another Day, the worst Bond film. You don't, you don't dig for kite surfing? I don't dig for kite surfing. Are we going to have I, another controversial, <laughs> think, this is the best one? You know, I, I mean, and you know, the Nemesis, I don't know if it is the worst or not, but like, it certainly 
and a deer. I'd just like to quickly clarify, I do not think Die Another Day is the best one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarcasm, statement, statement. Yeah, I guess it, it's, like, it's gone the record now. We can cut it out of context and just play it over and over again. So, you know, there's an idea for three of my favourite franchises. Of course, I bought the DVDs of all of these films. Uh, <laughs> and replacing the Blu-rays. And, <laughs> yes! <laughs> so what are you moaning about? I remember, yeah, I remember you and me going to see Die Another Day after a day at college, of course, and we got the train down to Bournemouth and we were really late, weren't we? Do you remember? We were rushing yeah, down. Yeah, we missed the screening. We were sprinting one. down from Bournemouth Station to the cinema to, to desperately catch Die Another Day. Oh, when I went to see that film again in Bournemouth, yeah. um, during the cinema screening, there was someone bashing and screaming <laughs> against the fire exit. Was that you guys desperately trying to get No, that was people in? trying to get out. Not the invisible car. No, I remember we did have a couple other friends who were already in town and they got in at the screening we were going to meet them at and we had to wait like another half hour or so and was, was it worth kept the wait no we should have kept waiting until, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah no I was so did you see I Nemesis at the, around I the same did. time I remember I went to see it on opening day and it was so packed that like I had to sit for it. well there's people sitting in the aisles I can't imagine what? and this is the, probably the only <laughs> Nemesis Star Trek because basically just like, the last few Star Trek fans <laughs> all turned up to this one screen I think it's probably the only one that sold out and so it was like a full house standing room and it wasn't exactly there wasn't like a standing ovation as well. I mean, it's, you couldn't get a more like accept, you know, accepting audience than what was there that day, you know. And I think that the mood in the room was really bad, like mm. just muted, yeah, muted reaction. <laughs> yeah, like um, I mean, it's funny. Uh, obviously, the first Star Trek film I saw in the cinema was Undiscovered Country when that came out. This is the only Star Trek film uh, I haven't seen in the cinema since. Uh, since Undiscovered Country, um, and you know, I think part so you, of that. So you got wind of the uh, reviews. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think part of that was because. I recognise your foul stench when I read the name. <laughs> of, the, of the bad uh, critical reaction. I mean, if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, this currently rates thirty-seven percent. All those critics have made us, as Leonard Morton says. Um, and apparently, this is the second lowest rated on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it is above Star Trek Five: Final <laughs> Frontier. So Village, I'm sure you'll agree, Greg. Um, but you're here to push it down below it. Then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We Kick are. Yeah, I can't really so. argue because Final Frontier and gives the second lowest gross in Star Trek. Oh, is it? Is that true? Yeah. People but, have spoken. Um, so, yeah. I mean, what I was going to say about Stuart Bailey is kind of ironic that he went up against uh, Die Another Day, um, and now. And obviously, that completely destroyed his directing career. Star Trek Nemesis was the last film he directed. He's never directed again. Uh, he retreated back into editing, editing Bond movies. I wonder if uh, he, wonder if he, you know, if he sits in his edit bay and his assistants there, and he's there going, "I directed Star Trek, you know, I'm a director." It's <laughs> <laughs> me. And that's kind of weird. That one of the things that brought his directing career down was Bond, and yet he uh, returned to yeah, the I don't, Bond I don't necessarily think it was because of Bond because you know I think we've all established no, Die Another Day like, isn't exactly a great Die Another Day was like 9th November <laughs> and this was a UK January release like so well no I'm talking about the US uh, yeah. release is what they went went up against this was December 13th apparently it's all the same uh, release dates uh, for those movies two towers as well. in America in America as well yeah two towers oh, okay. was like you know, just but so they would have been out at the same time and obviously like yeah two towers would have, would have trashed it at the end they would have gone helms deep on its ass no yeah. like but what you're saying basically is you believe that 
this is just an excuse, even if yeah. Nemesis had had a clear field. Even if Nemesis was the films. only film to be released in the summer of 2002, <laughs> it still would have been Plain franchise fatigue. So, like, we go back to um, the development of this film, mm. and it's it's it. You know, all the contracts were up after Insurrection, and like, I was watching the return the, the Nemesis in review. They were, had all intense purposes thought that that was the end. And it was Brent Spiner had been working with John Logan yeah. and Rick Berman to develop a story for a tenth movie. And um, so this had been, you know... Well, another film after this yeah. is what you mean. Yeah, no, yeah. no, yeah, no, to this. No, to this. Oh, right. They, yeah, it was Brent Spiner did a, a, a Nimoy and got involved in the writing of this Yeah, one. he yeah. has a story yeah. credit. Yeah. Yeah. But the Brent... excessive Brent Spiner screen time in Star yes, Trek Yeah, exactly, and him being on the poster again. <laughs> and, uh, you yeah, know, so we've got... Um, he said to you, I want the Enterprise crashing into something, I want uh, Romulans to be in it, finally, and I want there to be like some kind of evil data. I think it was meant to be law originally, but right. they didn't want to... Which would make more sense. It would make way more sense, and I think that's one of my big bugbears, is yeah. that it's not law, um, and you just fucked with the backstory of data, which it's was just really some, well like, established default in data. Yeah. Well, this is something I'm really hoping you can answer, Greg, being uh, the Star Trek genius on the podcast today. No pressure. Um, uh, this is something that really confuses me. When this film was coming out, all the promotional materials seemed to lead uh, you to believe that this was the last Star Trek Next Generation film. The actual tagline on the posters the was, the final, final journey. journey begins. Yeah. Well, I think it's more to do with, like, this is their crew as a, a unit. I think. Uh, right. Are you asking about what were well, their plans after? Well, what it was, as I've read, is they were all planning another film after this that was meant to be a final capper to the TNG yeah. world, I think, but, but it didn't happen because because the budget so why was this I think, being the last film no, I think because there was supposed to be a Star Trek 11 with TNG crew but I think they were going to bring in crew from DS9 and Voyager right okay with a possibility of a cinematic I guess it would have been like with Undiscovered isn't it because Sulu is the captain of another ship this would have this new one would have had Riker as a new exactly so there'd be Riker on the Titan yeah Riker's going to be a captain I think there would but it's going to be they just build it as this is kind of retrospectively they've said this is what we intended and they tried with the success of the Avengers I think they've made it sound like this is definitely what we were doing it was the Star Trek Avengers where all the other shows that never got a cinematic outing Voyager and Deep Space Nine would join together and I think I mean, they probably would have thrown in Enterprise there as well if they could have got away with it. <laughs> Channel, yeah. yeah, I mean, there would have been a, 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 a lot of getting the band back together for the next-gen crew as well because they would have been on three separate ships, maybe even more. Because Worf, like... Well, this is one of the... I think Greg Ross, as I say, it's like, and I, could, do you want to explain how badly Worf is served, knowing how we ended on Deep Space Nine? Well, I think it's just the fact that Every on all these next gen films, the excuse for Worf being there just gets more <laughs> lame as the film goes along. We've said like he's had to, to the just point, keep reminding, like, hey, to I'm the back. point where by the time he gets to Nemesis, it's just like he's just there. Don't ask questions. He's so all, he's, don't worry he's about it. He won't do anything. Cast regular on Deep Space Nine. He ended DS by this point. He's ended DS Nine right. as the ambassador to Kronos for Klingon Homeworld. Okay. Yeah. So I have read somewhere that there was a deleted scene where he made a comment about he found it too boring and that's why he's gone back to staff. Well, but this the thing I think that's just fans trying to make an excuse. I think no, it was scripted where he did say that it wasn't for me. But the scene he's saying that in is the same scene he goes, oh, wrong in a nail should be illegal. When and so if basically you were drunk and couldn't handle the pressure and you cracked and you've been disgraced yourself, now that's why you're back here. Water falcon. And, it's, you know, but, and, it's and that's just, why you've put on a load of weight since interaction. Yeah. 
just another observation. <laughs> and, and, had he put on lots of weight? I don't. I didn't he really looks a little I bit. I think it's such a slap down for like Michael Dawn's character. The fact he's like gone from ambassador to just being back at tactical. And I'll get on to um, yeah. later on. But I'll get on to when I think they should have used him. But I, don't, I don't really recall a single full body shot of him. He's just he's, sat at a table and well, stood he about. Well, he doesn't want to appear naked. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? The, this is the every Beazoid wedding, like which is Diana Troy's species. What half? What half? She's half of you know aligned to. Is um, that you? The weddings are always naked, and that's why they're going to yeah. Beazoid to go and do the second part of Riker Troy marriage. And they're going did to we naked. watch the same film? Yeah. Did you not get <laughs> this? No, at no, all? no, no, no. I do remember. Uh, it's funny. I was just about to say. I remember seeing an episode of The Next Generation years ago with Troy's mum Luxana and yeah. she turns up naked at one point yeah is that because she thinks it's wedding time or yeah, right. <laughs> I think it's like yeah it's part of their culture it's like, you know, they are they do things naked um, right some of them good stuff and it's like Wolf says it's not right it, for a Star Trek officer to appear naked isn't she and the one who's uh, always banging on about rape gangs <laughs> no that's Nashi Yard oh right okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, but you know, but then Bacana's like great. One of the great lines in this film is like, "Well, if you need me, I'll be in the gym." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> getting, getting even more shredded because I'm not like yeah, I'm sure getting the guns out this time. I, I think it's one of the few good lines in this movie. Um, <laughs> um, well, funny enough, at the wedding, of course, they are drinking. Let me just get my page of notes. <laughs> um, but what are we drinking today, Paul? We're drinking Chateau Bacard, uh, twenty-two sixty-four. <laughs> we'll put a picture to prove it. I have been to the future. I, I've heard. Greg, that you actually uh, produced some bottles of uh, Chateau Picard for your wedding. Yeah, I um, I feel bad because I've kind of just, you know, topped your uh, little handwritten, annotated <laughs> label. DIY. We'll, we'll side by side, we'll, we'll, just, we'll see who is actually Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll put it on the Instagram. Get, let let the audience decide. Hashtag so, Wills or hashtag Greg. So to cut the long story short, for my wedding, me and my wife actually got wine bottles labelled up as Chateau Picard. Well, you're naked. <laughs> did you naked. demand Beazoi tradition? Uh, I will send you guys a picture and you can pop it up Have on you Instagram. you all naked at your wedding? <laughs> yeah. I don't think we can show that. Liam, Liam, you were there. Now we know why you go to the gym so much. Instagram guidelines. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to Nemesis. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, in regards to Worf, what I was going to ask um, about him, Greg, is obviously he seems to be consistently humiliated a bit in the later Next Generation uh, films. I think, I presume many fans think this is a huge portrayal of his character because I get the impression that in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, he got a lot of character development, became a real yeah. fan favourite. Well, I've been to conventions and all the Next Gen actors, they kind of all try to apologise for Nemesis. And it's always the same. It's not their fault. Been, That's the thing they just they, they, they always say because you know it's, it's emerged that yeah they all hated Stuart Baird mm, and they yeah. all hated for direction. God, of they must they must really want a chance to um, do one more to go out properly, and they'll never get it now. So it now. even though I will sound, even though I will say that the fact that Deanna Troy sounds more like Marina Sirtis doing an interview as opposed to Deanna Troy. It's not. That's her. Fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, she called uh, the she, 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 I think she's idiot. Probably the most, she's the most spoke, outspoken about how much she hated 
Mm. But didn't she also say that she liked that she had quite a bit more to do this time around? So she was apparently really excited about where her character and what she was getting up to this time, but at the same time, maybe when it was all done, was like, you know, actually, no. Well, don't you think that was really underdone, the stuff with her and, like, the she, telepathy? She, yeah, she kind of gets involved in that, and it's it's kind of really underplayed. It's I only in a couple of scenes. It's, it's not really... Because there's only, yeah, there's only two scenes that refer to it. The third scene was a turbo lift, like, um, scene yes, where seen, she was seen, um, yeah. violated by him in the turbo lift, and, like, uh, Stuart Baird does his introduction to the DC. He goes, we actually filmed two rapes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, again, he's on the set of a Star Trek. Film. Yeah. He's now put no, rapes like, into Star Trek. But he doesn't talk about thematically where this, this scene was taken. I don't know if it was the first attack was a turbo lift and then the second one was in the marital bed or was it the other way around because, you know, you have... Um, he just spends the entire like introduction talking about like how great his camera work is, <laughs> right. uh, and uh, you know I used stalker cam and write down on my rape, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so you know we've got that, and it just feels like really just it's the third strand of this film, you know both B strands like the data uh, and B four and the um, the rape sort of sequence, you know feel really just like just don't go, go anywhere no you know? yeah I, and I felt I was so over the whole Riker Troy stuff by this point when you know when they're like sex scenes to get started and Riker's just there slobbering all over I was like oh god it's like walking in on some relatives or something it's like oh no, stop please you know well, like Riker does go like the extra mile with his cabin I mean he gets mood lighting there's lovely candles he's even got Tom Hardy <laughs> Helping him out with the matchup. <laughs> I've got to say, I thought it was quite nice to see the Riker and Troy romance continue and finally come to the fruition with that. Oh well, yeah, but I, I don't want to watch it. Jesus no, no, Christ. not so well. But you know, just to have the wedding. That that, that did seem well. nice, and that yeah. did have a degree of finality. That was that's the kind of thing you see in a finale, isn't it? It's like some uh, it's a couple who have been in the series the whole mm. way through getting married and stuff like that. That's quite nice. And I thought uh, the way Picard talks to Riker in in that kind of like uh, this is best man speech. best man speech yeah. is is awkward slash moving yeah there needed to be some like you know some real best man action there like you know something embarrassing that I'm not giving you permission (laughs) (laughs) he's on record this is permission (laughs) but he does act like a jealous lover during that speech doesn't he well as soon as I saw that I thought right this is the last film with this crew it's the last film you know this iteration there's a wedding at the start people have got to die in this film now like I'm expecting a lot of like deaths I was uh, in the cinema thinking it was going to be Riker yeah I thought that he goes down to that gantry and he follows him in there I was like oh don't go in the it's going to be like Kirk yeah. Generations on the gantry yeah. death type thing yeah that's true that would that would make uh, I was worried for him uh, generally because I hadn't heard the spoilers about Data being the one that goes well at the what? time <laughs> as usual yeah. listeners we will spoil the fuck out of this movie so yes let's talk about the death of Data uh, but I say death because does it really matter no, I, when you have an instant replacement data just waiting around the corner who conveniently has all his memories downloaded? Well, this is kind of like one of my biggest um, yeah. films. I'm just going to quickly break down the story of Nemesis as quickly as I can. So you have a villain who spent years in exile on this desolate planet. Um, he's also gets his own ship and a crew. He has the ability to escape and explore space as he wishes, but he's hell-bent on revenge on an Enterprise captain, um, which ends up being his downfall. He ends up in a space battle in a nebula, where his shields and comms are down. 
A secondary character will then sacrifice themselves to stop a doomsday device killing everyone. And um, so in Wrath of Khan, oh sorry, I mean, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just how much more did they want to? It is very, very Khan-like, isn't it? I mean, it is um, like you say, it is exactly the same to, structure. Even down to search uh, uh, Wrath of Khan, sorry, we're we're given that hope for it's not the end of Spark. He mm. can, and even in this, they it's can't the just same get thing. over to it. They can't they, just let it happen. Like properly. they had nothing to lose with. They, I mean, obviously yeah, they, they might have thought go. it might have carried on, but be final with somebody before it. Yeah, it's just that thing. Number one, like you say, uh, Paul, I, it didn't make any sense to me, being that we know of Law's existence in uh, Star Trek Next Generation who was kind of Data's evil twin yeah. wasn't he uh, why bring in another character who we've never seen who's just Data again mm. like why but also, you've already you got this other character there's another thing to mention with all these films you've had generations you know really made a big thing about talking about the emotion shift it's a huge plot point in that film so the je- the movies are taking on Data's personality exponentially the show could only go so far he's reached the capacity of that he needed the motion chip to go to the next level. He puts it in, goes to the next level. He learns a bit about it. And one of the best scenes in Generations is in the cartography sequence where he, like, mm. you know, asks me to relieve his duties. And he's like, no, because like, you need that. Courage can be an emotion too. And it starts from there. He starts to act more in line with his, you know, staff officer and becomes a, ma- a, a real person almost. In, Je- in First Contact, he is definitely wearing the, um, the thing because he says he can turn it off. So he can actually take on the Borg fearless. Yeah, no, it's uh, and he gets it put back on, you know, and ends up like being seduced. In in insurrection, he's got so far away from the emotion chip, he says he leaves it behind. <laughs> he didn't take it with him on the mission, like, um, and that's where he kind of acts just like standard data. There's nothing there to say he doesn't laugh at anything really much. He just acts like data again, doesn't he? With the young child, he's mm-hmm. like relearning the same lessons again. So it's like going backwards now. Then in Nemesis, you not hear zero references to the emotion chip. And you think it would be great if he actually, you know, th- there's a deleted scene where they find the emotion chip in his quarters after he's dead. And so he, he makes the decision to kill himself, you know, to sacrifice himself without it. Now, I feel like there needs to be something more on his face like that. There's a bit where he, he beams aboard the scimitar. He, he walks around. He's like looking around with his gun. Picard is stunned. He's just killed himself. And he's not really doing much, is he? There's 10 seconds left. And Data surveys the scene. He looks around. He sees... You know, the things are going to blow up. He makes a decision, he beams Picard out there and says goodbye. But it's all played very kind of staid. Mm. I thought, you know, there could have been a great bit where Brent Spire plays it, where like it's more, he takes a deep breath. Like he doesn't breathe, but if he takes, he re- reacts in a human way to like, the only way out of this is I'm going to have to kill myself. You know, I, I care so about So you wanted him to have the emotion Yeah, I was about to say, wouldn't you think No, I, maybe, no, no? it would have been great to keep the scene with the lead scene where the emotion shit wasn't there, but he's actually developed the emotions without them. He actually right. reacts human-like. He becomes a real boy and makes the decision. Like, and you see, maybe he's back to Picard. Like, takes this look and just go, "Oh shit!" Like, you know, and, just, <laughs> and then turns around and beams him out, and then def- then he blows up. Well, you know, I'm not like a writer. I didn't write Gladiator, so I clearly don't. Know <laughs> I don't know as much as John Logan. So, the screenwriter for this movie, uh, for all the listeners at home, was John Logan, who was basically given free reign after writing the script 
for uh, the script. <laughs> Too much of this Romulan <laughs> ale. This like, uh, <laughs> uh, script for Gladiator, which is obviously absolutely massive success. Um, in the same year, in 2002, he wrote two sci-fi disasters, Star Trek Nemesis and The Time Machine uh, oh, with Guy uh, Pierce. Yeah, exactly. It didn't seem to stall he his career up H.G. Wells. This at all, very hard of course. Um, but yeah, uh, what I was going to ask you, Greg, in relation to all this, is we're talking about why didn't they just bring law back? Uh, where is law as far as where Star Trek TNG ends? Um, if memory serves, um, episode for Descent, um, he was dismantled. Oh. So he could be put he back together back. again for Star Trek Nemesis. He, he, could, have, he, yeah, he could have been, I don't know why. He's in the data cover for Men's Direction. He's a spearhead fine. They could have just reused him, but yeah. no. <sighs> no, clearly they kept the emotion ship. Clearly they would have kept law and a cupboard. This yeah. is <laughs> I think there was a line where, doesn't Picard say, could this be law? But because is that? Do you think that's an audience thing? In the studio, we're like, we don't want you to bring law back because that instantly references the series and basically says this isn't accessible to a new audience. Because before, it it almost seems as if you bring this guy in in the sense of if a new audience member is going to see it as the first Star Trek film they've ever seen they don't need to know about law or anything that they can just go, this is a new thing. It's almost like a little retcon because surely. It would have been so much more interesting and solve some story problems if it was law, because that would mean you keep Brent Spiner if you are going to make another film, so he gets to be in there. However, the way you end it, it would genuinely be sad that we've lost Data, because in Data's place would be law, the evil or bad twin, who then, that would be an interesting redemptive arc for a bad guy to have to become a good guy in the next film, of being like, he isn't Daya, he is different. Um, Yeah, he is different, and that would be an interesting place to go, okay, so we still have Brent Spiner here, but he's essentially playing a different character, whereas very much the impression we get at the end of Nemesis is that this guy is is basically a clean slate. He's now been downloaded with Data's memories. He's going to become Data. Picard walks out with a smile on his face. Everything's back to normal. Who cares that mm. Data died? This is the, He's just an android. This is the interesting thing. Like They end up, like you say, it could have been interesting to be left with a bad version or someone who has to yeah, really change. Yeah, exactly. But they're left with blank slate data yeah. so yeah. it's like default it's gone like you were saying it's gone in reverse back to season one is here but they're already by the end of the film they're saying he'll basically be back to normal next time you see him because he's already singing <laughs> yeah. along exactly. I mean it's not like it's like with uh, Groot in Guns of the Galaxy like he kind of dies in yeah. the first one and then it's him relearning himself through baby Groot in the new one but it's like they just completely go oh yeah we'll have this blank slate one but by the time the film even ends he'll already be on his way yeah so ne- next you'll time, never see any of that when change. we come back for that next film it's just like two years later oh now he's yeah. just back to normal data great but it's funny what you're saying about that emotion chip thing there's yeah, no it sacrifice it would have been interesting if even another thing to do would be if they assume he doesn't have it in and then they realise he does so he sacrificed himself with knowledge of emotion that, that's, yeah, that's, that's the good, thing that's the thing they need whether he has the chip in or he just develops them himself he needs to face something as scary as death with without just being like I am robots I will die. well no it's fake you could just deactivate his emotion chip and just do it like, and that's why yeah. I feel like he's, he's in the non-emotion state when he's doing it which means yeah. he just cheapens he's it. the worst one to sacrifice out of everybody really because it's it can be cheap well it's the same thing with Spock in a way in the sense of mm. Spock's logical however like you say in Star Trek 
to Roth of Khan, you feel like we've been with Spock long enough that despite he's Vulcan, it's logical and everything, he's definitely grown the emotion, so it is a sad thing yeah, of him he, dying. He really has embraced part of his human personality. Yes. He's not as conflicted about it. So I think that's almost what you're saying about data is like he should have also have come that far just yeah. naturally even yeah. without the emotion. And I think that would have been a cool reveal because they've done this scene with the emotion being discovered in his quarters. You know, it's like oh, you know, there's various things. True, yeah. Perhaps that was there to sort of just kind of like really reinforce he made a sacrifice completely of itself. Well, you we were mentioned to me about else. deleted scenes. Yeah, it's like in the five minutes. Yeah, I've heard there was tons cut, and you watched them, and you uh, now I didn't get round to it, but you said they were well worth the watch. Well, there's, there's certainly like if they put a lot of these back in, there was those character moments with the next gen crew, which were amusing, and you know were actually gave them their moments that the film really doesn't have any of them um, weren't just them in like the mess hall and like Troy and Riker are talking about their honeymoon plans uh, it's kind of naff but like Rocky goes we're going to get to go old fashioned solar sailing boat like, yeah. <laughs> and um, but, the, but Worf goes a Klingon honeymoon is much different to that we have a, a forced march on the moon of Kalaf or something like that yeah. well a Klingon honeymoon begins with the Kolomar Desert March where the couple bonds in endurance trials if they survive the challenge, they move on to the fire keys of Feklar to face the demons of Grethor. Yeah, it just felt like the show camaraderie is back again. And it's, um, you know, that kind of thing could have been really good in the film. But You think there's a better film with these deleted scenes, which I have read, and as you say, are more character moments put back in? Yeah, they don't, they don't take up... I mean, the character moments wouldn't take up much more to just, you know, really kind of make this film more fun. This film is depressing. Yeah, there's not there's, there's not laughs. There's no in this laughs movie. in it really, other than the gym life, <laughs> especially <laughs> after <laughs> the uh, laugh fest of Star Trek Insurrection. Yeah, and I feel like yeah, there's a balance to be had here. Like it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. Like it is a depressing film. You're left just with totally this such down, empty feeling so at the end of it. Yeah, and that's the thing. You can almost uh, and, uh, and, no, go on. Yeah, you know, I've got a reference Rafa Khan again because they blatantly tried to pay homage to that, mm. but. You know, with that film, you're left with this nice feeling of hope and... Mm. Yeah. Nemesis, you just... Have... Isn't it interesting that the, the, the two films that share so much, Khan and this, can be day and night and be one of the best and one of the worst? Mm. It's just like, that's just, you know, that's how you do it and this is how you fuck it up. I mean, after Insurrection, you get the impression, presumably, that they're trying to go more serious again, more straight, after Insurrection was not a big success, um, return to kind of First Contact. But the thing they forget about First Contact is not only was it an incredibly exhilarating experience, but Star Trek First Contact has got funny stuff in it. Yeah. It is it is got moments of levity. Yeah, it's got a um it's it's it balances out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got like you know, the whole Borg subplot is as dark as shit. Yeah, yeah. It, you got this nice light hearted stuff on Earth happening. Yeah, you've got James yes, you, you're exactly right. Where yeah. Nemesis, it's just yeah, you can Mind cut from child labour, diseases, and just. Do you think if Hardy's uh, villain was played by somebody like a Malcolm McDowell who might be like camping up? McDowell back. Would that change the tone if Hardy was not Hardy in this, but somebody who was playing in the mustache twirling? Or 
Patrick Stewart himself, because did you know that originally there was talk of Stewart playing? I would have loved that. Did. I would have loved yeah, it as well. Yeah, because I thought some of it, and he could have been like a scarred up version of him, like you know that had been through all this stuff and had been, you know, it's basically the law Picard would have been yeah. really good. And Stewart's got the chops. He would have rocked. And it reminds it. me of like that missed opportunity by Ridley Scott to do the Robin Hood where Nottingham, Nottingham, mm. where you play when he played both roles. Russell Crowe was tipped to do that. I mm. think, you know, he had it, but eventually just ended up being the most, you know, piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the same yeah, co- yeah. cookie cutter, in the sense yeah. of, you know, whether you like that movie or not, Origins, um, the yeah, like, Ridley Scott Robin Hood, when you think about what could have been in terms of Nottingham, it, like that device of Russell Crowe playing both roles, that sounds very artistically exciting and yeah. interesting and different. Or even uh, just... Like, yeah. When it was Crow playing the villain, like it was like he just Nottingham was originally it, just like yeah. that would have been good. And it's like, oh, he's been misinterpreted all this time, and actually Robin Hood is the uh, terrorist, you know, who just fucking yeah. up for like poor old Nottingham over here, you know. So I'm just taking like the Patrick Stewart angle could have been a really good one, and again, it was a studio note that overruled that um, and got it changed to well, especially as this film is, as Jonathan Franks uh, commented very villain-centric in the sense of Hardy gets a lot of screen time mm. and uh, Jonathan Frake said although he likes the character uh, that Hardy was playing and Hardy's performance um, itself he would have toned that down if he directed the film uh, of course Stuart Baird uh, did not seek Frakes' <laughs> counsel on the film at all like, uh, a real s- slap in the face for Jonathan there who was busy directing Clockstoppers at the time there is an interview on the special features of Nemesis where um, Stuart Baird doesn't actually think of Shinzon as a bad guy Oh, okay, interesting. Well, I, I guess I can. I guess I can see that. Well, it's the whole thing. You, the best villains are meant to have motivations where they think they're the good guy and they know what they're doing is right. Exactly. And and there's was, a bit of that. And but. it was and it was going really well up until a point. I mean, you've got like his whole kind of getting to meet Picard just just to find out what he was mm. like out of curiosity. But, but his beef is with the Romulans. Well, this is what I don't get: is Shinzon's ever changing motivations as a villain? Yeah. Is so to begin with. His his ultimate goal is to escape the Romulans, basically, because you know he's been imprisoned by them. So he's all, by the time the film starts, he's already achieved goal one. Yeah, yeah, three minutes. In fact, he's gone to goal three almost because he's actually got and he's yeah he's in power. power right? Yeah, he's in power. He's been a war hero as well, isn't it? It's been established so, in a couple of lines that said you know he fought in the Dominion War and already had some enge- successful engagements. But he still sort of shows this resentment towards the Romulans. He still says in that line where it's like, if you ever touch me again, I'll kill you. Yeah, his people management skills are, he are gets, lacking. He gets pissed off when they start asking him questions. I'm like, well, if you're the leader of the Romulans, you know, you need to speak to the Romulans. And then, yeah, the whole Picard thing. To begin with, he says he's just curious about Picard. Then he wants to kill him for a blood transfusion. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, it's like, I want to destroy everything on Earth. Yes. Yeah. And that's what is the weird thing. I feel like that's a classic studio going, the stakes are high, the audience will not care about Romulus, um, so he's got to attack. Go, go towards Earth and attack Earth. But there's nothing in his, in his character that says he has to kill the human race. And also, destroying Earth won't destroy the human race. It's to be expanded and there's you know, a fleet of ships out there as well. I think it would have been actually a much better idea to have Picard having to intervene to save Romulans. You know, this is the thing. Like, you know, the genocide of Romulus, like by Shinzon, 
would have been much more, and it would have actually ended the Next Generation story in a way, because the Romulans have always been like the big bad, actually, throughout, other than the, the, the Borg. You know, the Romulans have always yeah, been the antagonists, and I feel they've also been that kind of mysterious uh, arm's length uh, people they don't really kind of like, um, other than briefly in Deep Space Nine, have ever kind of really co connected with. And um, this would be a great last film to actually say, actually, we're coming to the aid of our, you know, mortal enemies in their moment of need. Actually, they're almost on their knees because of Shin's on plan. And for the Enterprise to intervene and sacrifice mm. the crew would be a lot bigger. And that's what story. Star Trek does seem to be about, like them helping other people. Like, yeah. all the times that Kirk tried to, like, you know, assess situations without mm. attacking and all this, it's, it feeds into what they're up to. So to have them put the neck on the line... For, for the Romulans, like you said, yeah. that would be so and did you, interesting. Did you get any kind of any? Did you read anything to the line where Worf says the Romulans fought with honor because there's two ships that turn up in the battle mm. to like help the Enterprise? Captain by Dina Meyer of Starship Troopers. Yes, nice to see. So, so busy. Um, yeah, what do you think of that line? Did you get anything from that? Do you know uh, which line? What did he say? It Worf just says, um, you know, the Romulans fought with honor and like Riker says they they did, Mister Worf. Another another good moment for the fans. But yeah, no, I just figured when they showed up, it was like, oh, our enemies, your enemy, will team up and take him yeah, down. Yeah, Wolf type hates situation. the Romulans because they killed his parents. Right. Oh, I, I didn't know this. Yeah. And there was a deleted scene earlier on where he just reminds Picard, the Romulans do not are, are dishonourable. Like, we should, we're right. deep in their space, we should have our shields up. And, like, Wolf said, you know, he just, but Picard just says, Wolf, be assured, the first sign of danger mm -hmm. we'll go with your plan but until then shut up <laughs> <laughs> well I mean the like you say the the Romulans up until this point have usually been depicted as baddies they like, very much uh, so very much I mean the they are bad guys, like they're the bad guys in your fan film aren't they, they are. Greg uh, so I mean, you're one you, of them aren't you yeah I am you son of a bitch obviously you did your research I, clearly <laughs> I, I play Desodius a clearly misunderstood Romulan um, oh so I see was, the misunderstood yeah, as, now, huh? Exactly. As this film proves, was actually uh, the protagonist of the piece, um, really, in reality. I'm sure you will agree, Greg. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so here, this is them getting redeemed a little bit. Absolutely. And, uh, that's kind of nice to see, uh, with even Picard offering to buy the drinks, yeah. get, get the round in yeah, for the Romulans. A little sign up as Robbie and Al, like, it just gets referenced far too much. It's annoying like, <laughs> now. But like, even but the Wolf at the Wedding. Not drinking Romulan ale, like there's no blue liquid like in blue, those glasses, yeah. like, and it's annoying as a fan to sort of know. He's just come from a different night out. He's like, well, yeah, yeah, why, yeah, yeah, was it, why is... wasn't it established in DS9 that it's no longer illegal? Yeah, and it's and just, then, uh, Georgie LaForge is yeah. like, it is illegal. Talking about uh, earlier on, you were saying about the potential of a crossover movie um, yeah. after this that you think might may have been backwardly engineered to make it kind of Avengers of the Star Trek universe. We've actually talked about this before um, during our discussion of First Contact, where they were bringing in elements of DS9 oh, yeah, and stuff like that, also Voyager and things like that. Um, so it almost felt like a shared universe before things like that. In this, we get a cameo appearance from uh, Janeway, uh, the Mulgrew, captain yeah. in uh, Voyager, now an admiral, um, it would seem. Again, um, that's a bit... Yeah. Is this after Voyager's yeah, finished? Yeah, because well, Voyager's still going on at this point. I just don't get no, it's finished. Oh. Uh, yeah, I just... You know, I just thought Picard would be... I know Kirk told him never to accept promotion. I just... Yeah, she's why. above Picard. Yeah. Why is that? That doesn't make sense. Just, well, no, she's just spent seven years like on the other reach of space and managed to get back. Like I think this is you know, she took the desk job, but she's entitled to it after I think what she did. And he's just card not entitled to no, no, I think it's seven good. years of 
the next generation. I don't mind her being there. I just, I just always thought Picard would be the one giving orders to Janeway. Mm-hmm. Right. This film was trying to just reference everything. Yeah, it felt like they die another day of the Star Trek movies. Yeah, we got Whoopi yeah. back. Whoopi. Um, you got um, at the wedding. You've got um, Wesley Crusher. Oh, a one-shot cameo. Although there's even though scene? definitely yeah. doesn't go any way to explain why he's not with the traveler. That's, that's what I was yeah. going to bring up. He goes off with the space hippie, and he misses. <laughs> this is the end of with Crusher on the show. He, he leaves the show with a uh, a sort of a godlike deity. Or yeah, it's, 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 again, he, he leaves. Where... The point is, he leaves Starfleet. Yeah, right. And all of a sudden, we're now seeing. But he's got the wedding invite. He's, still, he's uh, in the Starfleet uniform huh. at the wedding. Yeah, perhaps yeah. he's wearing perhaps on a dress. And it's oh, just it's these are like okay. these are okay. These may be little things, but it's just this is where I go back. Where no one seemed to care. It was just I'll just chuckle this. Don't ask questions. Just yeah. And it's, I'm sure that people the cast are like really like you know if they're making this one if generations final journey, the people you really should care about pleasing are the fans in a way and just to like, give them their final send off. And then with um such that wedding, um, the... who acts on a Troy. The Anna's mother in the wedding um, well she's not in the wedding but throughout the entire next gen season she keeps going on about wanting to see her daughter married and she doesn't see well, it I assume that's the second uh, part is in Bay that's what I think that's, but again I think the most likely reason is the writers just forgot and it's well this is the thing because I mean here we have Stuart Baird who openly admits he'd basically never seen any Star Trek before this uh, and John Logan, who uh, I believe had had no involvement in Star Trek. Think, so that, he, no, no, he was a big fan, though. Oh, he so was a big fan, but not... Right, Trek, okay. Yeah, because yeah, I was about to say, he must have had his pick of anything after Gladiator, so it almost seems a bit odd that he'd be mm. writing a Star Trek film. I, mean, I don't mean that as a diss towards the franchise, just in the sense of after you've written a script like Gladiator you know you yeah. could have done everything and I think if you're going to do the 10th film in a franchise because Stuart Baird actually apparently really resented having to be involved with a franchise that had already yeah, pre-established and stuff you, you would go off and do an original thing but well, obviously that shows that he was a fan yeah the car chase like Star Trek's first car chase ah. I have a Star Trek, Star Trek Fury <laughs> Road. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, get two of them. Basically, let's face it, two of them in the same film. Because how similar is the car chase itself to the little uh, shuttle escape later mm, on? Yeah. They're very similarly staged. I don't, I don't mind the shuttle escape. It's just... It's a Star Trek film. Why well, is there a, a car chase in a... Well, I think I, I kind of dug it. Like I, 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 I don't mind it too much because it's, I, you know, it's annoying. Yeah, you're right. It felt a bit weird, but now we've got games like Mass Effect and stuff like that where they have like ro- they roam alien planets with cars. But I think the thing yeah, is, though, so, what I don't like about that, you know, the the Argo as it's called, its support craft is more useful than the actual Juno. Uh, yeah, it, right. You know, it's. We have we've seen it for countless times in Star Trek. We have shuttlecraft. So they can go in and out of a planet's atmosphere. They can hover. They fly. They can go at super speeds. They get around mountains and water. Why on earth would they have this car? Right, which has okay. no protection from the elements. So again, this is a thing where you feel the fact that Baird had no real kind of knowledge. Basically, of I think what basically what this is is they just wanted to make an action film. Yes, yeah, yeah. He there wanted is, to bring some set pieces. in. If you mm. take the Star Trek out of this, there's you got you just got a like action film. Well, the, the space battle runs long, but doesn't it? Too long. Yeah, because I get that Rafa Khan. Every phaser fire on another ship 
meant something. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that was pure submarine battle, and this is in just this film. Like, I just spent like forty-five yeah. minutes just pummering. Yeah, it does go on for a long time, doesn't it? And then there's an extra bit with the fight with Riker and the other henchmen. What is the point in... Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first of all, why did the re-boarding party beam themselves to the bottom of the ship? Or, like, but then they say they're kind of working their way up. And then they don't get... How high have they got to the point where there's a a shaft that's that deep? uh, You know, bottomless pit, essentially. It's only 26 decks. And, um, like, why, and of course, it's just like, why does Picard send Riker to the... This is the part of the film where it's just stuff just happens because the film needs it to happen. Mm. They, yeah. they needed something for Riker to do. Well, so, they needed Riker to kick this guy in the face, like Kirk kicks the guy in the face in Search for Spock, but he doesn't have an amazing kill-off line. Yeah, I was like, waiting for it. I was like, is he going to cock up a third just one? Just a really road? jarring slow Do you, do you know what the line was? Oh, was there a line? Yeah, there was. They what was the line? It. I think it's like, it's plenty dark in hell. Or don't worry, it's dark in hell. Because they... That whole, <laughs> well, yeah, the he was like, I'm not saying that. The, no, he does say it, but the reason no, is like, you know, they like the dark, you know, so he's kicking him into the dark. Right. I mean, that's it, but it's a bit of a stretch. There'll I mean, be plenty of dark yeah, yeah. when I was, in hell. I was in the cinema just like waiting for it, waiting for the line, like, nice to drop in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like... He, it's really, I mean, that slow-mo shot they do of him is really weird as he kind of disappears into the darkness yeah. and stuff. It's classic, uh, like, uh, falling bad, early, naughty slow-mo. Like, uh, yeah, it, it just is a bit pointless, yeah. isn't what, it? Do you think of Picard's request for Troy to enjoy more rape? Like, if you can... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Wait, oh, God, yeah. yeah. Just say, if you can, yeah. If you can enjoy any more of these assaults then we could use your help with your insight. Like, uh, she requested we relieve the duty because she's a liability. And he's like, denied. <laughs> <laughs> if you could endure more of these assaults, it might help us. Uh, oh, times are Fuck it up, woman. Yeah. I genuinely didn't think about it like that, but that is pretty horrendous, isn't it? Yeah, it is horrendous. But, like, you know, there's, there's part of it, like, where he's, you know, his, his, his explanation is that they're deep behind enemy territory and any edge we get, we're going to need. But it's a lot to ask of Troy, mm. his friend. But it's, it's, it's like mind assaults, isn't it? It's yeah. just it's just like the the rape connotations right. before because she was in bed while it was happening, right? And he well, no, no I, this is the I thing. It's not like established on the mind. Yeah, 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 it is because right, like obviously but... Tom Hardy wasn't actually yeah, in bed at that point. What is he actually doing with all of this stuff? Yeah, like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, he likes her hair. He wants to stroke her hair, doesn't he? Like that's that's when they first meet him. I've never okay. seen her. I never, I've never seen a human woman, female. Yeah. and he's like, you're no woman to the other Romulan because she's not like him and so the first woman he sees is Deanna Troy and gets an instant attraction but so his next step is to mind rape and is it I thought it was Ron Perlman's guy doing it not him Huh? I thought it was Ron yeah, Perlman. No, no, he's helping him do it. Like it's, it's, it's. He's, he's the conduit. Oh, okay. So he's the go-between. Yeah, but because later on when it, when she's mind reading now? doing it back. Well, yeah. this is obviously a. Um, we've never seen Remans before. They can yeah, do they can do the hell they want. They, uh, they can do what the film requires them to do. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? Um, well, I've. I initially. Well, initially, I, go, I. I went with the first feeling I got when I saw the Riemann makeup was what they actually intended, which was Nosferatu. Mm. But the second feeling you get straight after that, um, my fiance pointed out, was the master from Buffy season one. Oh yeah, 
Oh, is it? So are you talking about the henchman guy? Yeah. Now? So the vice role player Ron Perlman. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely see the. I've got to say, I did not clock. Well, obviously, he's buried under prospects. I did not clock that it was Perlman. It doesn't seem like a. Perlman no, no, it, it, it doesn't at all. You don't go like, oh, that's Ron Perlman. Obviously, like, uh, yeah, this is again Ron Perlman before he was Ron Perlman. Just like, <laughs> well, uh, no, this is after Alien Resurrection and after his work with Brando. Now, it's never a little podcast shout out. You've got to hear his interview with Marilyn where he does the greatest anecdote of all time uh, yes that's about very very good it's, yeah. a, it's, it's about 40 minute anecdote but it's fantastic yeah it is yeah. brilliant uh, that'll be on uh, Mark Maron's podcast what the fuck definitely check that down for Perlman giving a far better performance than he does in this movie uh, <laughs> um, what, what do we think about the general obsession with lime green in this film I mean it is everywhere oh yeah it's really green is because my because my it's only even, even the fucking drum kit symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was like, space symbols, mitten green. There you go. Even though part. throughout all the Star Trek, we've seen characters play traditional woodwind brass yeah. instruments. It's like somebody so enough anymore because yeah. it's a space film. It's like somebody was obsessed with like, <laughs> let's just get this shade of green in to make it all futury. Because all I knew about this film before well, I was a poster, which is all green. A palette too, didn't it? I mean, yeah. red features prominently in, in that, and I feel and like they're, the, just, they're kind um, of just getting a look for the film. And the beige yeah. wardrobe range for the. Um, I mean, like yeah, the, the entire climax taking place in this in this green cloud, and then every lit up console on Hardy's ship, and it's just green. Everyone's like, "Oh my god!" They really. I do remember a lot of the promotional material was just. Like, does anyone remember that trailer which took the music from Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes film? Really? Ah, trailer. Watch. The teaser was good. Was good for this. I remember watching the trailer to this film when it came out it's actually the only one really that I properly remember watching the trailer for of these older films back in the day and it, it the last shot of the trailer was Data running out of the ship and leaping out yes. and that looked so cool I was like oh my god this is going to be amazing yeah. I really thought we were going to see a return to first contact style yeah. kind of movie making I did too I felt, I, I, and it's still in the, in the process of the film I do still think that Data jumping out of the ship is good it is, but what I will say is the initial shot, I think, of him jumping out is good, but I think instantly in the next shot, it looks a bit silly when he's actually catching the ship. That looks lame, I think. Yeah, trying to grab onto the submarine, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The abyss. Like, it, yeah. The, uh, the initial thing is really cool, and I actually think, you know, I actually think the, the front of the ship actually getting ripped off is actually Was pretty the cool. Only, the only model work in the film is the, um, the ramming scene, which is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, which the is ramming badass. is incredible. That is yeah. really incredible. I mean, that's the thing. The space battle goes on for so long. If, if that had been edited down... I think that could have been really, really awesome because there are awesome moments within it yeah. at the end of the day where you go like, well, oh, that's really exciting. I think yeah. that was quite, yeah, that's never been done. Yeah, before. I like the bridge getting shot out. I mean, the it stakes are sense. high. It doesn't make sense in terms of the actual battle where like, he's trying to you know, get Picard why would you shoot the bridge where he's in there? Like, mm. you know, well, this goes back to his ever-changing <laughs> yeah, He doesn't know what he's doing. It's, yeah. It looks cool, we'll do it, you know. But And you are right in the sense that that battle is so obviously trying to emulate the one in Khan in the sense of even the stuff like uh, where he said he wants to look me in the eye, everything like that. And it's just that thing of going, well, what has actually really built up this this hatred between you? We, we haven't earned this at all. Um, and also, the bit that there is a moment where Picard does some kind of classic 
uh, kind of distracting or for time um, very similar to kind of like because just a moment can't like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, although he's really quick in this is kind of like a moment distraction then he's like fire 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like oh yes I'm still here like my <laughs> yeah, yeah. let me just get my SMN messenger up yeah, I know but also you know he could easily just say import because he cuts him off like doesn't he during that scene and then he says, then says engage I mean that's actually if we were talking about Tom Hardy's performance where he could have done something like and like, we have Patrick Stewart well established by this point make it so and engage and he does this hand signal mm. you know that thing it could have been that Hardy uh, did the hand signal but says something else yeah. but it just got that thing hmm. that's in his DNA do the thing that's uh, a good point but you know it's a missed opportunity absolutely um, Lots of also we talk the Remans are <laughs> Hardy's characterization you know, they're bred for war and they are worse than the stormtroopers from Star Wars mm. where they turn to the, sh- the shootouts in the, um, the scimitar uh, <laughs> they actually Aid has his back to him and they still gets off the, the first shot <laughs> Yeah, every time Picard rounds a corner and fires things off, he's killing one of every shot, and they're just like, oh, it died! <laughs> and they'd be rumours of a bread for war and of spending an eternity on a mine could still build a scimitar, which is yeah. like more advanced yeah. than any Federation ship we've seen. Yeah. Fire when it's cloaked, it's, it's uh, just fantastic. It's just, yeah, it's just too many convenient. Mm. It does, it does. And also, the quantum torpedo serves the Enterprise so well in um, first contact, destroying Borg Cube in like one. <laughs> Still not using the quantum torpedoes. Yeah, the only time they blow them out here is when Troy like, tracks on the ship. So the quantum torpedoes do exist, but they're just used a lot later. That that moment when she's tracking the ship and getting a kind of psychic revenge, like they use really classic lighting over her eyes, that kind of classic... Morticia Adams. Yeah, yeah, and it was, yeah. it was quite striking, but it was like, why is this happening at this point and for no reason? But, it's it all, like... but it's, oh, it's so badly done, though. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. And particularly, I don't think Marina Serta's eyes at that age of her life should really be... <laughs> <laughs> I think this is... I think all the actors... Age doesn't really. Well, data like the android. I think he did, <laughs> did. Brent Spiner actually said that this would have to be his last gig yeah. as data. Yeah. In regards to uh, the film, then uh, one aspect we haven't spoken about, uh, which you're usually quite the expert on, Paul, is the score, which was again Jerry Goldsmith. Right. Um, yeah, it's his final uh, one for the franchise. Um, I guess say there's um, there's. Interesting bits in it. It's not my favourite. It's definitely the le- lesser of all his works for Star Trek. Um, he only did a couple of more scores after this. One was rejected for Timeline, uh, a Richard Donner film. Uh, rejected? Yeah, well, he, he was rejected quite a few times. Various scores that were, were not used, but he also was like the last minute replacement for a lot of people, so, you know, swings and roundabouts. But, you know, this is Richard Donner who used Alan Parsons' project for uh, Lady Hawk, which otherwise would be a good 80s <laughs> film of this terrible soundtrack. So, you know, it's he's replaced again in a, a Donner film here. I've never heard of this film Timeline. Yeah, no, it's like... Oh, Timeline, yeah. yeah. What? Time we all know Timeline. What are you talking about? What is this movie? Freel, right, that one? Yes, it's... Yeah. Like, Jared Butler, early Jared Butler. The, I've never seen it. That oh. absolute classic. But, like, I would I would see if they put the Jerry Goldsmith score on it. What was the score it. memorable, Matt, as you're such a fan of Timeline? Uh, I'm going to say, yeah. His <laughs> <laughs> last one was a Looney, Looney Tunes back in action. Yeah. See, this film killed off Underrated. a lot. This film killed off a lot of people. It killed off Stuart Baird's directing career, Quite Jerry right. Goldsmith, the Trek franchise, and nearly Tom Hardy's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell, put it away. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah this is the one one one. I thought there's a few missteps, like opening. But I like the opening. I like I like the opening. But then the the shot, what the Reman, the the Romulus shot, like I, I, mean, I like that. Oh, I don't know, mm-hmm. not for me. But like I, I think the action is good. Uh, 
call for a vote on the motion to open trade negotiations with Sellers 2. But I think the that seems know. quite awkward. I mean, you're thinking like this is the this trade thing you spent the most much money on, and you go to the Romulan Senate, and their hairstyles haven't changed since the TV show, and it's it does. It's quite a big. If you've got the regular average movie guy going that film, I thought they would find it quite weird to go into that like very you know awkward. Dialogue. It's quite nasty and horrific though. I think they would like that bit, but I think they've got two minutes of like Romulan kind of plotting. Like we need more, you know, basic sanitation for the Greek water. It's that thing that's <laughs> uh, the criticism that's levelled at a lot of the Star Wars prequels, isn't it? Lots of scenes in the Senate and stuff. Yeah, well, the, oh, it, yeah. doesn't the first scene say we're opening trade negotiations? And I was like, oh, it's one of these. Oh, oh okay. no. <laughs> Because they, they work so well for Phantom Menace. That was my uh, reference to Gladiator script, by the way. Oh, right. Oh, sorry. Got dead ears, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, on this note, shall we move on to final thoughts and scores of what we thought of this movie? One of my, I'm quite one, interested to one see. Of my, one of my thought. final thoughts that's kind of not really about the film, that I'm really intrigued about, that I don't know if anyone can really answer too well, is this was the first Star Trek film to come out post Galaxy Quest. Oh, right, okay. So I do wonder how much... Which I much... still haven't seen. Yeah, really? I know. And no. So I wonder how much of an impact, you know, that being in the uh, lexicon had when on When did Galaxy Quest come out? 99, I think. 99, so literally just after insertion. Some people have suggested that we should even do Galaxy Quest as part of this podcast. You, you've seen this film, I presume? Yes. It, 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 do you like it? Or Yeah, it's just proof of Star Trek. Yeah. And do you, can dumb... you see why people think it's like that? That good that it could be included alongside. It's not part of Star Trek canon, though. No, no, it's all no, no, no. To Star Trek. It's it, it is a spoof on sci-fi, long-running sci-fi franchise. Is this yeah, a bit the actors and the fans. Austin Powers' Spy Shagging was a Bond film. Yeah. It, is it a case of they're trying to say that basically this spoof film is so good that it does Star Trek better than some of the films. Is that what they're trying no, to say? No, no. I don't think so. well, It's one of those things where it starts out as a spoof, but by the end it's kind of become its own version of yeah, like You've an seen adventure. it as well, man. Oh, I've not seen it properly, no. Oh, right, okay. but it's excellent. Okay, <laughs> all right, yeah, well, well uh, yeah, I'm going to have and, to check it out. It's like cult classic, isn't it? It gets really, really and, and revered. I think this guest did make reference to like Alan Rickman yeah. like, being immense. And it is, it's something that pays off in it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Really I, well, I do want really, to see really it. Really smartly written. And Maybe together. now's the time between yeah. this and when we talk about yeah. uh, Star Trek 2009. So, so I would have wondered whether you know that being around would have hurt this box office, but being up against what it was up against, probably not. <laughs> well, also in the fact that I, I don't think Galaxy Quest. All, I don't think it was a success. At the well, no, it wasn't. Was it? No, and then it's become a cult classic after. So, like, presume that because there's those things where there. certain certain um, rounds of spoof movies kind of kill off a certain genre for a while, like scary movie and the slasher well, and things. Oh, did, did it yeah. bond? Like Die Another Day, like yeah. it came out after. That's a spoof of itself, bloody Die Another Day. Yeah, which well, it's, it's gone parody. Like it's gone too far, hasn't it? Like it just. Mm. They had to literally hit the reset button. You can't do this Moonraker shit anymore. <laughs> um, you say you weren't a fan of Moonraker. Oh, I do, no, I do like Moonraker. Okay, but no Moonraker. But you'd you'd put Moonraker Moonra and Dynasty. Yeah, yeah, right. Antics, yeah, of like, this is yeah. the, this is the right before they hit a reset button in that franchise. Yes, yes, yes it is. Yeah. Seen around like Back to Basics. Yeah, no, that's very true actually. Like, and uh, Nemesis. We've reached the end of the Prime Universe. This is actually mm, the, the last kind of latest set. Source. 
uh, actual visual representation of Star Trek as it got, because it's post-Voyager, post-DS9, um, the only thing that kind of on screen that is further in Enterprise. the timeline is, is no, 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 that's a prequel. So it's the flashbacks in Trek 09. Yeah. To like it's Spock's vision. So we'll go into that next time. But you also, know. I don't know. The other thing, um, maybe worth noting is, unlike the other Trek films, the only thing on TV was. Think of season two of Enterprise were up to yes. that point. So yeah. did that have a starting the decline in interest? Because that wasn't that it popular. Was, and I, th- I think that the um, and you know the reasons behind making this film, I think the producer was like, "Well, we better just make another TNG film before they get too old." <laughs> too old. And Ooh. but because they knew that. I know. That, I think that's the point where they knew that Star Trek was a dying franchise, and it's like we've had our peak. Yeah, but there's there's people, you know, Rick Berman like takes a lot of flack for this. He's the producer of the Next Generation show, so he's been he's been overseeing some really Trek's finest moments. But he gets a lot of flack online for this film, and it's almost like you know this has undone a lot of his work, you know, and trying to revitalize the franchise and then oversee. You know the launch of DS9 and Voyager. You know he's been kind of like the over overlord of all this for that while. But like he has got his fingerprints all over this apparently. But I thought that this is more the studio in bed like fucking things up and just the lack of nobody actually just sticking up for Trek. It is just... Berman not involved in Star Wars as well? That's no, Rick McCullum. They look very oh, similar. Oh bloody Ricks! <laughs> Ricks. Yeah. having a kind of monopoly yeah. over the Star franchises. Yeah. But um, in regards to Enterprise, though, I've read that, because uh, I've only literally seen a couple of episodes of Enterprise, which you forced me to watch, Greg, <laughs> in preparation for Amber. You were willing. <laughs> um, I've read that the Star Trek Next Generation cast return for the finale or something, or that they're, they're in Two it, or them some do. of them are in it. Yeah. Two of them. So the, um, Looking older. For, for finale for Enterprise, which... Is universally accepted as the final actual nail in the coffin. <laughs> right, great. Is so Enterprise got axed in halfway through season four. The announcement was made: we're axing Enterprise. Axing right, right. So they hadn't planned to do a finale that soon. So they basically knew that the last episode had to be the finale of all of Enterprise. So, the majority of the so the episode is set on the holodeck of the of, of the, the next generation yeah, the, thing with Riker um, participating in right, the Enterprises. Okay. So, it kind of the the episode skips like ten years ahead in Enterprise. So we've so basically it's Riker playing out Enterprise's last mission right. because he's got a dilemma and. He's gone to Counselor Troy. Is the dilemma related to an episode actually of the Next Generation? Is it like a kind of Bambi Two situation where it's a? Or is it set after Nemesis? No, no, no. no, They take them back in time. They put them in the original TNG uniforms. That's really weird, then, isn't it? You've got the 2004 episode of a 1994 event, and he's (laughs) gone to he's gone to Deanna Troy for advice, even though in Insurrection set after that. She says that Riker has never gone to her for advice. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's just. But the yeah, the episode is set. It's during Enterprise's final mission. They kill a main character off pointlessly, and right. I've actually spoken with the actor who played that oh, wow. character, and I've explained to him my theory, which is they just had to kill someone off because it was a thing to finale, do in a finale. Yeah. And he was like, "Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was literally like draw <laughs> straws." Gonna... My name was out the hat, yeah. <laughs> you know. And um and yeah, it's just a rubbish 
it's it's just it's universally accepted it's like the worst Star Trek episode ever wow made. so that really is and a full stop on every on all of that kind of prime universe stuff yeah. and like literally yeah you can see why they wanted to clear away yeah. everything for yeah well we just like if you're interested in so for after this film there is the um, the graphic novel prequel to Star Trek 2009 called Countdown okay which is basically everything that happened in the future with, um, with before Eric Banner's character went back in time right. um, which includes um, Picard as an ambassador I think um, it's got Geordie in the Forge as the chief engineer who designs the jellyfish ship you see in Star Trek 09 it's got fully fledged new data in B4's body with data's Memories. mind yeah yeah um, so you actually get to see, even though I don't, know, I don't actually think it's considered canon or not. Oh no, it's it's an official it's, thing. It? Yeah, it's an official. But it's, it's comic tie-ins. But no, it's yeah. really good. But basically, it's all set during, and it's about like um, Nero meeting Spock Prime, and um, right, and okay. It's, again, it's little little things. After I don't know why I've just randomly thought of it. There is a um, an episode with the Romulans in Enterprise, which everyone hated, even though. Um, I won't get into the, the lore of it, but they feature the Remans in that episode, and it's just because oh, of their okay. in Nemesis. Yeah. Well, you just mentioned there, Greg, that um, you'd be happy to come back on to talk about Enterprise at some point. Oh, we should announce this. <laughs> For everyone wondering um, if in a couple of months the show uh, that you've been loyally uh, downloading all this time is going to end... Um, we like we, to say that we need shit to do until Star Trek Four. Yeah, so. exactly. That is not the case. Our basic plan is to carry the show on on uh, a voyage to Star Trek Four. That be Star Trek Four of the Kelvin universe. Yes. If it ever um, happens, if it ever happens, uh, we're going to get there eventually. Um, because and in that meantime, we're going to explore many other aspects of the Star Trek universe, including obviously the television series, which would encompass Enterprise. Um, you know, more plans for that to be revealed at a later date. But we will be continuing beyond beyond. So Matt, what are your thoughts? Um, so yeah, so I don't know whether it was because I was bleary-eyed with sleep watching this at the crack of dawn this morning. You've been Eurovisioning it up. Like. I've been Eurovisioning <laughs> my my brain had been bludgeoned to death by Eurovision like before. Thin. Yeah, very much so. Unfortunately, uh, did you have uh, a Eurovision party last night? Did you? We watched it. Oh, yeah, it. it was quite fun. Um, but I was watching it thinking, you know, this is this is kind of fine. This is fine. And then since this being sat fine. here and listening to here all, all these deep dives, my score has drastically just dropped and dropped and dropped. And I don't really have uh, it one down at all. So I'm going to give it a 5.5 5 out of 10. Interesting. interesting. Which right. is a lot, so which is how, a lot lower than what How far did it drop from this morning? It went from 6.5 to 6.1 to 5.5. <laughs> so this has dropped an entire kind yeah. proper yeah. point. Yeah. Since this morning, since well, since we started recording, <laughs> man, that's how bad we've been lambasting. But I think that's the thing. Film. I think that's what they wanted. They didn't yeah. want you to think about it much. Like the yeah. people who made this film want you to kind of be blown away. It was loads of action, and then go away thinking Star Trek was cool. Yeah, it definitely felt. And, it definitely felt like the most modern one. Deep. Yeah, mm-hmm. like come, you know the four year gap between this insurrection. It's definitely felt like more of a modern sci-fi and stuff. To but keep up with the marketplace and yeah. forgotten this. There's nothing real Star Trek about this film at all. No, not at all. Yeah. So, Paul, you say surface deep. What does surface deep achieve in score terms? I, I would say three point five. 
Okay. I'm going low with this one. You are going low. I'm angry at this film. Like, I, I think five... Like I'm, you know, appreciate everything you guys said about it. Like, you know, this fun moments, but it's not intentionally, essentially, the, the filmmaker's fault. That was re- there was other circumstances why that was so fucked up. This they had the biggest budget, they had a good creative team, they had the right play. I there was, there was more reason for this to succeed than there is to fail, and it's a failure. So this is um, your worst one so I far? I think the worst one so far, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's the worst one that we've watched, definitely. I feel. Um, yeah, I just, for me, it, I came in on this show for it to it kind of like contradict characters so, so badly in this film and to give them such disservice and there's no fun in this film at all. It's just a pursuit of things people wanted at the time. It's a it, checklist. It's a checklist of things that were... A bad checklist. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously we've all got varying degrees of kind of exposure to Star Trek, um, but out of the three of us, you you were the closest uh, to a fan, and I think that's down to Star Trek Next Generation. Absolutely. So I felt like this was, you know, closing the book on something that, I, that got me into Trek, you know, on television. And I watched seven years of it. I watched the f- three films, and I felt like you know this. I was pretty let down by this film. It closed the book, burnt the book, threw the book out the window. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, Greg. Um, two point five. Um, <laughs> low, low, low. <laughs> um, the worst track film ever. Um, tough because I really don't rate for next gen films. Just I generally, would say it's kind of sits out of insurrection. And first contact. But, but, even first contact, you don't. You're not a fan of. Well, first contact. I'll take the. Um, the Borg stuff. No, I'll take the the stuff on Earth. Oh, that stuff. Oh. That's that's Star Trek away wow. mission. That's awesome. I don't take the zombie movie in space. Right. So I like what they did for Borg, but I just think it's it's probably the best TNG film. Yeah. First contact. Don't get me wrong. I do enjoy watching First mm. Contact. I think it's it's quite far. I think the characters have gone quite far from the TV series, and I just don't. And they never get back there again. And it's just. <laughs> and I think this film is like Paul's kind of just paraphrased well. It's like the ultimate insult to <laughs> the characters, to the fans. Um, just little things like I will keep going on about the car chase. You know, why is a car chase in a Star Trek film? It's the whole fact that. You have Captain Picard, who traditionally is a very calm, diplomatic, quite person. You know, he, he likes a flute, he likes to read Shakespeare, and all of a sudden he's redneck driving. Yeah, a buggy. he's loving it. He's a motorhead. And, like, so and that's, what? Is that like? Jean-Luc Picard is nice, calm and collective. Patrick Stewart, on the other hand, loves driving. And yeah. I think that that's why. And it's just, yes, great and all, but works in an action film, not in a, in a Star Trek film. Um, and the other thing, um, it's just the other point I'll make is I always get hellbent on the bit at the end when Picard decides to go over to the scimitar himself to take on the remaining Remans and Shinzon. Like, You've got the fate of the Earth and are you really the best? It's thing you've, I listened to a few of the other episodes where you talk about why do they always send the old person yeah, send Worf. to do <laughs> send, Give Worf a backlift. Send him over there. Yeah. Yeah. fucking love that yeah, shit. Yeah, there's a backlift as a, back, a backup. That's why First Contact succeeds because it actually does have yeah. the backlift, like a small version as a backup. And exactly. it's like that makes sense to the character. It's a cool, fantastic cinematic moment. But there's nothing, no um, sense of that here. Yeah. I think with this film, it's just 
Like I say, better, better for the beginning. No one cared. I mean, because I understand Jonathan Frakes was up for directing it. And yeah, he was real shady going like, oh, they'd ask me, I'd have said yes. Maybe because of the backlash from Insurrection, but, you know, it's just like... Give you know why did they just they just I don't know why they probably could have ended their saga bad. better. You would have well, I think you know we as we touched on in the insurrection episode, Frakes was not a creative control over that film. It doesn't sound like he was an auteur by a long stretch. So clearly, the man who bought in First Contact on time, on budget, on you know to a very high standard, could quite clearly like leave it on a high if he was given the right material. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that there is material here that could have been like handled a lot better. You know, on the surface of it, you know, we've got some, th- you know, the deleted scenes bear out. There were some good character moments there that never made it to the final cut. Um, you know, there, there is some, it's great to see the Romans on the screen for the first time. There is I think, yeah, I think scene. some of the, there's some good set pieces. I did, yeah. even though the battle scene, you know, was too long. We cut that down a bit. That was, yeah, it was in real time. That was good. <laughs> yeah. I quite liked the, the sequence um, when Picard escape in the scimitar and they get on a little craft and they fly about. And I say I like that um, bit too, because it best, and going yeah. through the glass bit that yeah. they've established, I thought that was quite clever. So, 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 Coming out through the shield. So that's, yeah. that, that kind of just gives it its points. <laughs> yeah, and I love the Enterprise but, escaping from that bit. You get a little triumphant note, actually, yeah. when they kind of beam away from the tractor beam and the Enterprise goes to warp. There are exciting moments in this film which, you know, are few and far between. Did they beam aboard the entire ship, then? Yeah. Does that work? Yeah, they, work? Can, yeah, they can do happen? that. You can beam okay. the shuttle bay. Yeah, it's been done before. I thought they appear in, you know, the transporter bay. No, you, this is the thing. You don't need a transport room because you can beam anywhere. Oh. This is the thing. Like, I believe the uh, spoof of it said, you know, <laughs> uh, transport chief O'Brien is like, I'm pretty much wasting my time here. <laughs> so um, but yeah, so two point five. It had its had a couple of moments, but ultimately it was an insult and flawed. Can you beat two point five, Liam? Well, yeah. I mean, will I redeem this film with my score? No, will I hammer the final nail in the coffin? Well, I'm afraid to say the Stodgett Nemesis is my nemesis. Uh, <laughs> the the worst of the Star Trek films we watched so far. Um, yeah, I mean, up until this point, uh, motion picture's been the lowest for me. Uh, this is de- uh, definitely, yeah, definitely below it. Um, you know, I mean, you know, compared, if we compare motion picture to Nemesis, there is no comparison. Um, you know, uh, this, uh, now, th- there are things, uh, I enjoy about it. You know, I always enjoy seeing this cast um, playing these characters. Uh, you know, Patrick Stewart is is great as always. Um, his performance was praised by critics at the time. Um, you know, singled out as one of the good things about it, and I think that's right. Um, I, I do think the action sequences, uh, even though that if they feel a bit out of place, are well staged. I think Stuart Baird can do action, and like the. Um, the buggy chase and the escape um, later on in the little shuttle, even though they are quite similar in the way they're done, I, I do think look quite impressive. Um, and the actual space battle, although it needs some major editing, yeah. when it really flies, uh, like the front of the Enterprise getting ripped off or them crashing into each other. Oh, the bit where the bit breaks off and hits the nacelle, that's good. Yeah, it, it's exciting stuff and it, it looks epic and spectacular however uh, the rest of the film I I do find a real mess I think it's really obvious that there's loads of cut scenes out of it because it feels often like we're having to plug in the gaps in our mind of what's really happening the plot and the character motivations and stuff Um, I think Tom Hardy is is perfectly adequate 
um, in the role of the bad guy, but I think he's ill-served by the script, uh, where his motivations constantly change on the dime. Um, I, I do I think... Know. You figure that as an actor, having to deal with that, and, like, you can see, like, mm. if you're intelligent, like, you can see that... This, yeah. You'd be like, I acted it a certain way the other week when we shot that other stuff. That's not what I'm doing now. And you're yeah. asking me to do what? Ugh. And I, I think... Know. And he does the best... Like, I mean, this shows he's a star. Yeah, like, completely. Like, he can still perform, like, I think let's just see, um, that kind of material. I was about to sort of finish by saying, you know, this is the film which could have ended Tom Hardy's career and we would have been denied this amazing Yeah, actor. completely, which would have or, been... Do we have to thank this film for the amazing actor versus Tom Hardy? Well, he, he went Maybe through his so. years in the wilderness because it's of this, going, training, getting better... Having his rocky moment, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> and yeah. yeah, so maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe we needed this to get uh, Tom Hardy as he is today, and for that, uh, perhaps it can be. He certainly doesn't look old these days. Does no, he? no, I mean he doesn't yeah. at all. He's so all... you know, when he, you know, his his revival. No, hundred percent. Eight. You blew it, kid. <laughs> I mean, hundred. It also, I, I mean, I think Brent Spiner um, is very good in the film uh, as Data, and obviously he's playing another version of Data. Again, you know, I think a lot of the actors in the film do the best they can with the material they're given. Yeah, overall, it is quite a mess. Um, it is the worst one we've seen so far. Uh, I'm going to give it a 4.8. Okay, so that really is damning reviews across yeah. the board. Um, yeah. Thanks, Greg, for joining us today. It's really, really good to have your, your opinions on this, actually. Kind of come along, but you defended the last one. This one here, you were here to kind of like put the nail in the coffin. You wanted to be on the other side. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, next time, we'll be returning with the first of the Kelvin Universe films. We'll explain why the hell they're called that uh, in the next episode, I'm sure, uh, with 2009's Star Trek. Um, until then, though, uh, just like to say the Spotlight is available on Podbean, iTunes and anywhere else uh, you can download podcasts uh, in general. Uh, anywhere good you can download podcasts anyway. Uh, yeah, if you'd like to give us a review on iTunes, apparently that really helps. Uh, only five star reviews, please. Um, yeah, apparently... Uh, reviews lower than that uh, really we don't want your nemesis reviews yeah exactly <laughs> really really don't help but I mean you know at the same time like if you be be honest but of course if you are honest you would give us five stars because we're clearly that good my ego is the best <laughs> I need it the best. Uh, also subscribe on iTunes we're available on social media at Twitter at Facebook and at Instagram uh, I believe on Twitter and Instagram it's at SpotlightPod um, we've also got a Gmail account if you want to write us a long rambling email perhaps there's some defenders of Nemesis out there we'd love to hear from you if you really love Nemesis if you think we're really harsh I mean we're kind of glad that we've got Greg on this time who's a bona fide Star Trek fan to agree with us that Nemesis is a big part of the dog shit yeah, but if maybe you, now we are the Nemesis of a lot of fans if, if, so. you, if you really love it then write in to spotlightpod at gmail.com however and um, I will be round yeah <laughs> however if we see the email address stuart.baird at hotmail.com we're gonna know <laughs> that you're a bit biased yeah. um, we will not pay you bitcoin <laughs> to take this time <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, Please find us all on social media. We kind of do announcements there all the time and extra information um, about the show. Uh, so until next time, uh, that's enough 
from me, Liam Dempsey. And me, Matt Brothers. Yeah, it's more enough from me, Paul Wilson. And from our guest. Thank you for having me, Greg Lockhart. And also, Greg, if we want some information about your Star Trek fan film, Ambush, where do we go? Uh, Facebook, just type in Star Trek Ambush. Uh, Yeah, I think you've recently done an interview uh, with Star Trek fan productions or something like that. Yes, I've done an interview with um, James Star Trek fan productions um, on Facebook as well. So great, it's probably got all the latest information great group about with, um, that. information about all the fan production down there. So, yeah. Just definitely check that out. Okay, that's great. We'll see you next time.